Welcome to episode number 32 of Sean's Sports Show. Today we are coming at you live from Los Angeles, California. The usual, yesterday we were in Compton. My boy David got the win. Uh, he fought in the finals today and he won as well. So he's now the Los Angeles district champion at 132 pounds. That's his weight. So congrats, David. It's Team King all the way. Let's go, baby. So we're going to be covering the breaking news in sports today as well as the uh, Los Angeles sports teams and uh, the news results and matchups of the LA sports teams and uh, that's that so without uh, further ado let's get down to it and we're going to be starting with the Ball family the Ball brothers couldn't prevent Prienu Vitautas from getting blown out by Lietivos Ritas on Saturday losing 104 to 71 though Leangelo Ball had a solid game the 19 year old had a team high 16 points to go along with six rebounds, two assists, and a steal. His younger brother, Lamelo struggled. He had seven points, four rebounds, four assists, and a steal, shooting a woeful two of 15 from the floor, one of nine from three, and two of five from free throw range. After the game, Vitautas head coach, uh, Virginius Seskus, said he gave 16-year-old Lamelo a longer leash than he has in the past, essentially to prove a point per Josh Martin of Lonzo Wire. Quote, today I wanted to let him play and show that it's hard to play against a more powerful opponent. They play in those tournaments of theirs, score 40 each. Maybe it's late now, but we need to show the reality of Lithuanian basketball that anyone can, that anyone cannot just come over and play. So I let him play more today for them to see that playing this style of basketball that they want to play, you will lose against every single LKL team. We looked at this game as some kind of experiment of play that style of play. Seskis appeared to be responding to the cons- consistent critiques from LeVar Ball who has insisted that playing his sons together in a more free-flowing style would lead to success for Vidautas. So, uh, that's that. Now, a story in the world of basketball here. Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr criticized his team's effort after a Thursday defeat to the Indiana Pacers, but after losing 126-120 to to the New Orleans Pelicans on uh, Saturday, Kerr was more satisfied. Per Baxter Holmes of ESPN.com, he said, quote, we're going to be all right. Tonight, we were playing a team that desperately needs to win. You can tell teams around the league that have to win. They're getting after it. They're playing for their season, and our season begins next week, and we know that. So I'm not disappointed with the effort. I always want to win. We always want to win, but I like the fight, especially in the second half, and I think we can take something out of this game. Kerr added the Warriors, just 6-9 in their past 15 games, are ready for the postseason to begin. Quote, it has been a long haul for sure. I was hoping that we would be heading into the playoffs healthy. Obviously, everyone wants that, but because we weren't able to, the last few weeks have been made more difficult. But this is all a part of it. It's all a part of the journey. This is our journey this year. Every year is different. It has been a bumpy road. But here we are, and I'm really proud of our guys. We have 57 wins and a couple more games and a chance to go into next weekend relatively healthy, so we're in good shape. Draymond Green concurred. Quote, I'm comfortable with our team. I know we're a damn good team. Excited to get started in the playoffs. That'll be good for us, but I'm comfortable with what we've got. I've got a lot of confidence in this group. The Warriors have been beset by injuries with Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson, among others all missing time in the past month. While KD and Clay are back, Curry remains out with a great two MCL sprain that should keep him out for the first round of the playoffs. In his absence, the Warriors have struggled and Kerr blasted his team after Thursday's 20-point loss to the Pacers. Um, quote, carrying in general was the main problem. Trying, cutting, hard driving, maybe boxing out every once in a while. Just in general, it's hard to win an NBA game if you don't put forth an effort at all. Yeah, I'm mad, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I know that uh, this game doesn't mean anything in this seating, but the playoffs start next week. It was an embarrassing effort, a pathetic effort. Despite Golden State's sluggish uh, close to the season, Golden State remains the favorites to win the title, 
which would be their third in the last four years. The Rockets, I mean, the West is obviously loaded with the Rockets posing a major threat, while LeBron James looms in the East, but a healthy Golden State team. I mean, later on, is still a very hard team to beat. So now switching gears to football here. Johnny Manziel played in the Spring League for two quarters, finishing 9-15 for 82 yards, a touchdown, and three sacks. Afterward, afterward, Manziel gave himself a mixed review. Quote, it's disappointing some of the things that happened, but nevertheless, it's a huge step for me. I put pads back on. A lot of people wrote me off just, just to even get to this point. I'm definitely emotional about it. I'm definitely happy about it. This isn't the end goal for me, but I'm having fun again. I have a smile on my face. The Spring League, a, devel a de developmental league, that provides opportunities for players who are not on NFL rosters but hope to be. Per Seifert, shared um, so that's that. After the Spring League's next set of games, April 12th, Manziel has about a month until the Canadian Football League's training camps open for rookies May 16th. He's previously said that if he doesn't receive interest in the NFL, he would commit to it, play at least two years in the CFL. If he goes that route, it would be with the Hamilton Tiger Cats who own his C uh, CFL rights. For the time being, however, Johnny Manziel was trying to prove he could re-, re uh, he could be reliable and consistent in both his preparation and performance. Quote, the message that I'm sending is showing up every day and going to meetings, being engaged in everything that is going on during practice and in the game. I can't control what is going on with NFL teams' interests, and I don't know what's going on in the NFL meetings. If that's the case, if the NFL is something that pops up, cool. If not, I'm going to work until I get back there. We'll see how things play out. Manziel, who's 25 years old, was the number 22 overall pick in the 2014 NFL Draft by the Cleveland Browns, but a combination of mediocre play on the field and concerns off the field left him without a job after two seasons. He's now attempting a comeback and previously threw at the pro days for both San Diego and Texas A&M. Manziel still, appear, still appears to have the tools that intrigued the NFL his first time around. Quote, I've never been around Johnny Manziel until this moment of time, but I see a very quick arm. I see very active eyes. Spring League coach Terry Shea told Seifert, he sees things in those classic Johnny Manziel plays, particularly when he's on the move. I've seen some. I've seen those come up here. Um, so that's that. Now, big story in the world of uh, baseball here. Uh, they just cleared during Sunday's game uh, between the St. Louis Cardinals and Arizona Diamondbacks when Cardinals catcher Yadier Molina took exception to something said by Diamondbacks manager Tori um, Lavulo. The D-backs manager was ejected for arguing balls and strikes in the top of the second inning, but apparently said something that upset Molina, who charged in Luvala's direction. Both benches cleared, but the situation did not escalate. Lavulo had taken exception to questionable called third strikes. He and outfielder AJ Pollock were ejected for arguing calls. He called me a mother effer twice. If you're going to call somebody that, you better be ready to fight, Molina told reporters after the game. So that's an interesting situation. Uh, now a story in the NFL that has to do with Odell Beckham Jr. New York Giants wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is planning a, to visit with the team Monday for the opening day of its season conditioning program. Beckham told Josina Anderson of ESPN he'll, quote, check in, work out in the gym, and meet with some people, and has a flight to leave later Sunday. Jason LaConfora of CBS Sports reported there will also be a medical check, but then the wideout is then expected to depart for, quote, a long while un until his contract situation is settled. 25-year-old LSU product faces an uncertain future with the Giants. The organization picked up his fifth-year deal in his rookie contract, which pay him um, just under $8.5 million a year in 2018 per spot He's obviously seeking a long-term deal if I covered, as I covered, so. Uh, so that's that. Uh, now story in MMA, UFC. Conor McGregor's rough week got even rougher Saturday night. 
Just days after spending part of Thursday in jail following an incident at the UFC 223 media day, the Irish strike striker was striped, stripped of his UFC lightweight title. UFC President Dana White announced the news at the UFC 223 post-fight press conference, uh, flatly stating that Khabib Nurmagomedov is now the undisputed lightweight champion. McGregor stunned the MMA world Thursday when he arrived in New York with an entourage and went to, schedule, went to a scheduled UFC 223 press event and proceeded to throw a hand truck through the window of a bus carrying a number of fighters set to compete. Uh, two were left injured from broken glass, who were Michael Chizia and Ray Borg, and McGregor now faces charges of felony criminal mischief and misdemeanor counts of assault, attempted assault, menacing, and reckless endangerment per the New York Post. Officially, the move doesn't uh, doesn't have anything to do with Thursday's fracas. Dana White suggested last month that McGregor reign, McGregor's reign as lightweight champion was set to end following UFC 223 due to inactivity. What was a distinguish, uh, distinguished stance? McGregor is currently embroiled in a contract dispute with the promotion and faced Floyd Mayweather Jr. in a boxing match that the UFC had a hand in promoting in August. There's no question his continued absence from the cage stalls the lightweight division at a time when it is overflowing with contenders. Still, if there was any hope Connor would retain his title, it likely ended the second he was cuffed. What does the future hold for Connor? According to White, the UFC was targeting a September return for the new champion, but with McGregor's legal status up in the air, a return is uncertain. McGregor is scheduled to return to court in New York on June 14th. Don't expect any details on his return to the Octagon until then. Uh, now story in the NFL. Former NFL player Alden Smith was arrested Friday night after violating, quote, a condition of his electronic monitoring, according to TMZ Sports. Per that report, Smith was uh, fitted on Thursday with both GPS and scram devices, uh, the latter of which monitors the blood alcohol content and sweat after, quote, allegedly violating a protective order put in place following his arrest for domestic violence. Quote, unfortunately, through these circumstances, Alden and I are no longer together. His fiancée, Shauna McKnight, told TMZ, although it's with a heavy heart, I truly wish him the best and pray he gets the help he needs. I will always ha have love for him, but at this point, I'm simply the victim in this ongoing case. Smith, who appeared in five NFL seasons between the San Francisco 49ers and Oakland Raiders, has continually faced legal issues. He's been charged with DUI on three separate occasions since 2012, was charged with three counts of felony possession of illegal firearms in 2013 before having those charges reduced to misdemeanors and serving pr probation in that case. The Raiders released him in March after he was accused of domestic violence. He hasn't played since 2015 when the NFL suspended him for a year and never reinstated him amid his ongoing legal issues. And now story in the NFL. NFL executives reportedly think Johnny Manziel's potential is quote off the charts according to Bleacher Report's Mike Freeman. Manziel participated in the Spring League, as I already mentioned. So, that's that. Oh, now story in the NBA here. Quinn Cook has shown over the past month that he belongs in the NBA, and the Golden State Warriors re rewarded him by agreeing to a multi-year deal, multi deal, according to Shams Chernia of Yahoo Sports. The 26-year-old has been playing on a two-way contract, but effectively become a full-time starter with Steph Curry sidelined because of a knee injury. The Warriors released Omri Caspi on Saturday to create space to add Quinn Cook. Cook entered Sunday averaging 9.4 points and 2.7 assists a game this season, impressively knocking down 44.8 of his three-pointers. He became a regular part of the team early in March, but really took off March 14th against the Los Angeles Lakers. In his last 12 games, including 11 starts, he's averaging 18.2 points, 5.3 assists, and 4.1 rebounds in 35.4 minutes. He's also shooting 52.3% from deep in that stretch. Uh, he's received a few more opportunities before this season, playing only 14 games, 
while spending time with the Cleveland Cavaliers, New Orleans Pelicans, Dallas Mavericks, and Atlanta Hawks. He has gotten a chance with the Warriors, however, and has taken advantage, with Curry expected to miss at least the first NBA round of the playoffs. Cook can remain in the role and try to lead Golden State uh, for the championship. So that's that. Uh, now a big story in the world of basketball here. It's surprising. Mitch Kupchak, after more than the, a month of rumors, has agreed to become the Charlotte Hornets' next general manager and president of basketball operations. Quote, in every role and in every stop during his tenure in the NBA, Mitch Kupchak has brought up the, the levels of success in his teams. He's a proven winner. Having won championships as both a player and an executive, we have confidence that Mitch is the right person to lead our basketball operations, build a winning culture, and bring sustained success to our organizations for our fans and the city of Charlotte. The Hornets fire general manager Rich Cho in February. Almost when the second show was pushed out the door, Kupchak emerged as a favorite to be his replacement. The 63-year-old has a kinship with Jordan because the pair both attended North Carolina. Quote, I'm excited to join the Hornets organization and I want to thank Michael for this opportunity. I'm well aware of the passion for basketball in Charlotte and throughout the entire state of North Carolina. Uh, and I'm confident that we can build the Hornets into, into a successful team that our great fans can be proud of. Kupchak also brings with him a resume that includes four championships, one during his time with the Lakers uh, as a GM, a role he held from 2000 to 2017. The Lakers fired him last February um, as they were on the verge of missing the playoffs for the, first, for the fourth straight year. Kupchak, Kupchak, while decorated, saw the latter half of his tenure in Los Angeles result in the worst stretch of play in franchise history. He was at the helm of the Dwight Howard fiasco, the hiring and firing of multiple coaches, and, and the ill-advised signings of Timofey Mozgov and Luol Deng. The Lakers were forced to trade D'Angelo Russell to Brooklyn last summer to get out from under Mozgov's contract. Dang has played all of one game this season, despite uh, in being in a one year in this in the second year of his seventy-two million dollar contract. Kupchak will inherit a roster filled with overpriced veterans and one star, Kemba Walker, on the verge of free agency in twenty nineteen. The Hornets have one hundred seventeen point three million dollars on their twenty eighteen nineteen salary sheet. For hoops hype, putting them well over the cap heading into summer. Nicholas Batum and Dwight Howard will make $47.5 million alone next season. Marvin Williams, Cody Zeller, and Michael Kidd Gilchrist are making $13 million apiece. None of these contracts are especially good or tradable, and this roster will turn its entire attention soon. Um, now, another story that has to do with Odell. Uh, the New York Giants reportedly asked for two first round picks in a potential trade involving. Wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr., but were turned down. Michael Silver of NFL.com reported the news by setting a, quote, high-ranking high executive of an NFC team. That comes after, uh, you know, all the stuff about Odell that I already covered. Right, now we're going to be covering WrestleMania 34, which happened today. WWE, WWE WrestleMania was more of a massive event than usual in its 34th edition. A stacked pay-per-view card brimming with potent with potent matches and moments, the marathon night gave fans a little of everything from blood to the canvas to a kid from the crowd winning a championship. Ronda Rousey began her WWE career in earnest with a home run performance in a wild bit of theater. Dan O'Brien returned to his drop-kicking ways, leaving the crowd abuzz with an in-ring showing for the first time in years. AJ Styles retained the WWE championship with a victory over uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Charlotte Flair ended up ended Asuke's historic streak with an emphatic win. So I'm going to be covering this uh, in depth. Uh, so Hall of Famer Jim Ross, Hall of Famer Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler joined the commentary team for the match. Chaos reigned early as fists flew amid a crowded ring. Aiden English was the first to get sent packing. 
Kurt Hawkins, Connor, and others soon followed. Dolph Ziggler, meanwhile, evaded elimination a few times. The Revival worked together to take out a handful of superstars before being thrown over the top rope themselves. The field soon thinned until only Matt Hardy, Baron Corbin, and Mojo Rawley remained. The heels beat up on Hardy, but Bray Wyatt appeared to prove an provide an assist. Hardy took out Corbin and embraced the Eater of Worlds as the two former enemies celebrated together. So the result was Hardy wins by eliminating eliminating uh, Baron Corbin. I gave this match a D. I didn't really enjoy it. My analysis, it's a bummer that WWE went with all mid-carders rather than introduce some surprise entrance as it has in recent years. This was a low-energy battle royal with few highlights. Wide and hard, hard, Hardy joining forces was one of the um, few things happening that were of note. Next was Cedric Alexander versus Mustafa Ali for the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, 205 Live Commissioner uh, Drake Maverick watched at, on at ringside as Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali clashed. The two competitors traded shots in the fast-paced opening moments. Alexander took control by using his power advantage and focusing on Ali's midsection. A face-first crash to the outside worsened things for Ali. A big flurry had Ali near a win, but a missed uh, 0-5-4 left him vulnerable. Alexander Lumbar uh, finished things off. So Alexander wins via pinfall to claim the vacant Cruiserweight Championship. I gave this match a, a B. As fun as it was in spots, uh, this was not quite the showcase of the Cruiserweight division fans of 205 Live had to be hoping for. Their eventual rematch is likely to be better. Alexander and, and Ali packed a lot into a small space, but it didn't have enough room to fully that. You know, delve into the story. We saw some flashes of a more aggressive Ali. This desperation growing at times, though, the theatrics felt a bit overdone. The Cruiserweight title is in good hands, and 205 Live's hot stretch is poised to continue. Next was the WrestleMania Women's Battle Royal. Beth Phoenix and Paige joined the commentary team for the action. Uh, Kerry Sane, Bianca Belair, and other NXT stars joined the likes of Bailey and Becky Lynch to all attack and eliminate Carmella. The first few eliminations came quickly as brawling broke out in all corners of the ring. Peyton Royce led an alliance of NXT roster members as they worked together to take out the folks from the main roster. Sasha Banks and Bayley countered with an alliance of their own. Bayley thought she won after tossing out Banks, but Naomi had never been eliminated. Naomi ousted Bayley to take home the trophy, so Naomi wins by last eliminating Bayley. I gave this match a C. The inaugural Battle Royal featured some solid intensity and intriguing mix of talent. WWE did well to show some flashes of the, of the NXT women's division. It was hard to catch all the eliminations as they moved so quickly, however. Um, they could have been a lot more of the Bailey Banks story, too. Their eventual grudge match is going to be magic. So, Next was the Miz versus Finn Balor versus Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental Championship. Miz, Rollins, and Balor all traded near falls as each man went for pins early and often. The champ turned it off both challengers as he took control. Balor and Rollins went with high-risk approaches. The Miz, meanwhile... Picked his spot to pounce on either man. The fight moved on to the outside, where Balor got rolling. Counters and near falls, you know, followed. Neither the Miz's skull-crushing finale nor Balor's finishing move was enough to seal the victory. Rollins' stomp, however, did the trick. I give this match an A. What an opener! Adrenaline surged through matches. Much of the action, the three foes meshed extremely well. Rollins' red hot 2018 continues. He's been an MVP caliber star this year. The Miz was impressive, more than you know, hanging with some lowlifes. <laughs> Next was Charlotte Flair versus Asuka for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Flair and Asuka fought to a stalemate soon after the opening bell rang. The challenger stunned Flair with high octane offense. She went after the queen's left shoulder as she uh, slowed the bout. They battled back and forth, leaving each other hurting. Asuka smashed Flair on the floor outside the ring. Flair flung the Empress of Tomorrow from the top rope. They screamed at each other as they delivered their best shots. Flair uh, clamped on her signature submission and forced Asuka to top out, tap out. So the result was Flair wins via submission to retain the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship. 
I gave this match an A. It's a testament to this card's depth that a potential main event came so early. Flair and Asuka delivered a physical battle that lived up to the hype. There was a palpable tension between the competitors and a proverbial big uh, fight you know, feel throughout. The entrances alone were stellar. Even as strong as WWE has booked Flair over the years, for ending Asuka's streak was a surprise. Asuka felt unbeatable. Next was Randy Orton versus Bobby Roode versus Jinder Mahal versus Rusev for the U.S. Championship. Aiden English welcomed Rusev via song. The line of Bulgaria then began the bout by knocking around his rivals. Bobby Roode and Randy Orton took turns blasting Jinder Mahal before fighting each other. Rusev took his own hard shots at his old talk tag team partner. After surviving Orton's wrath, Rusev looked to be closing in on victory. Mahal, though, pounced to take down the powerhouse for a three count. So the result was Mahal wins via pinfall to claim the United States Championship. I gave this match a C minus. The triple threat match, you know, outdid its meager expectations. The action flowed well, but there wasn't a ton of electricity. In a way, it was a showcase for Rusev, who stayed up, you know, who played up his current popularity. WWE went all again on went all in again on Mahal. However, he was an underwhelming WWE title holder. It's hard to predict anything less for a US, US championship reign. Next was Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey versus Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. Stephanie McMahon riled up Rousey by taking cheap shots. Kurt Angle dominated Triple H before uh, some heel shenanigans shifted things in Team McMahon's favor. Rousey had to stand uh, frustrated in her corner as she watched the game beat up on Angle. When she finally tagged in, she feasted on McMahon. She toyed with the Rock Commissioner for the crowd's delight. McMahon managed to battle back, but she only angered Rousey, earning a beatdown for her troubles. Angle and Triple H brawled outside the ring, a fight the Olympian lost. Rousey thrashed Triple H inside of it. Both teams went on the attack in a chaotic stretch, and Rousey eventually emerged from all the torture um, with a nasty armbar that spelled the action's end. I gave this match an A-. The match's layout was largely excellent. It built anticipation for Ronda's arrival, allowed her to play off her baddest side and look like a strong opponent with Triple H. The final armbar was a violent exclamation point to be about and had the crowd rocking. Rousey came off looking like a huge star in what was more you know, fun theater than a war great match. It went a bit long in the third act, however. Had the in-ring story been better, this could have been even better. Uh, next is The Usos versus The New Day versus The Bloodgin Brothers SmackDown Tag Team Titles. The Bloodgin Brothers streamrolled stream everybody to kick things off. The Usos teamwork allowed them to slow Harper and Rowan stunning the big men. It wasn't enough. The brothers dominated laying out the rivals before putting Kofi Kingston away. I guess match a B-. This was nothing like The Usos versus new, The New Day Barn burners from last year. Instead, WWE gave WrestleMania some variety with a glorified squash match. Um, this, that's disappointing for these for those hoping to see the Usos shine again. But it flexed the muscles from the brothers. It was an intriguing development. WWE has gotten fully behind this team since its gimmick switch. Next was John Cena versus the Undertaker. A referee whispered something to Cena that caused him to run backstage. He later came out ready to fight, but. Elias, not the Undertaker, emerged to face him. Elias trashed the fans and the powerhouse with the song, leading Cena to take out his frustrations on the Duff Drifter. Cena half-heartedly celebrated afterward. Underworker, Undertaker eventually emerged. The dead man battered Cena. He made short work of his foe, hitting a tombstone pile driver for the three count. So, uh, Taker wins via pinfall. I give this match a C. WWE took a very odd, frustrating route to get to a dream match. It teased that Taker wouldn't answer the challenge until the last possible moment, which hurt the build-up, in my opinion. The company did not did get some major heat for Elias, however. The match was short and uneventful, in ex- an extended moment rather than a flesh-out story. It's great to see The Undertaker at Mania, as he's such a big part of the event. He's a legend. This, though, was, you know, his best contribution to the pay-per-view's history. I mean, it was far from the best. Next was Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. 
Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn interrupted Brian's feel-good return by blasting him and Shane McMahon before the bell. They left Brian on the ground, leaving McMahon to fight on his own. As the doctors looked over Brian, the heels punished McMahon in the corner. Shane O'Mac hurt himself as he battled back. Owens and Zayn took advantage of zeroing in on McMahon's abdomen. But Brian eventually charged, charged in to save the day. He withstood Zayn's be, uh, best shots and delivered some of his own. Zayn couldn't escape from the yes lock. I gave this match a B plus. It's so great to see that Brian is back in the ring. That he could, you know, he could just hit one move and the match would have been a success. The, the, the villain's viciousness, the emotional power of Brian's return, and McMahon's usual daredevil style made for an entertaining opening to the next uh, chapter of the bearded warrior's career. This could have gone longer and milked the drama more, and some of Mania's other showings outdid it. Next was Alexa Bliss versus Nia Jax, the Raw Women's Championship. Mickey James accompanied Alexa Bliss to the ring. Nia Jax went straight for James, uh, flinging her about and leaving her motionless on the floor. The powerhouse then focused on uh, rage on Bliss. Bliss went after Jax's legs, slowing her. She kept Jax off her feet, so I gave this match a B. A well-told story climaxed with some, you know, comeuppance for Bliss and victory for the hero. Powerful moments played up their old alliance and current bad mood. Then next was AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the WWE Championship. So Styles won via pinfall to retain the championship. Next was the Bar versus Braun Strowman and his mystery partner. Uh, I gave this a B, and Strowman and his partner won. Next was Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. I gave this match a C plus, and uh, Lesnar won via pinfall. That's all we have for this episode of Sean Sports Show. Thank you guys for listening. All the other episodes are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, and TuneIn. Follow on Instagram, Sean Sports Show, Twitter, Sean Sports Show, Facebook, Sean Sports Show. Follow on SoundCloud. I love you guys. We out.